I'm Corinne Lenz, and you're listening to Infrointelligence, a podcast from Renew Canada magazine. In today's episode, we catch up with Michael Lindsay, Chief Executive Officer at Infrastructure Ontario, to talk about several healthcare projects that are currently in procurement or under construction. We talk a bit about procurement strategies, how they've evolved over the years, and we dig into current and evolving trends in public healthcare infrastructure. It was such a pleasure to catch up with Michael, who is clearly very passionate about the important work he does. Infrointelligence podcasts are adapted from an ongoing webinar series hosted by Renew Canada magazine. You can find out more by following Renew Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn or by visiting renewcanada.net. Infrastructure Ontario has already worked on several healthcare projects. Can you tell me about some of them and talk a little bit about how Infrastructure Ontario has worked with the industry to complete these? Yeah, absolutely, Corinne. And look, just through you to the people who are listening to this podcast, I just want to say thank you uh, for their time, their attention, their consideration. And I just want to give a shout out to, to Renew itself. We, we find uh, the organization, the publication to be an indispensable way right, to connect with people who care about our industry and our market. So my thanks. But boy, you're not wrong. I was involved with some healthcare projects. Uh, yes, over 50. In fact, that we've uh, successfully brought to completion since the start of the organization, dating back a decade and a half. But yeah, in front of us right now, I would think of what we've been asked to do as, as the second major generational build-out of the capacity and the resilience of the healthcare system in the province of Ontario. So in 2019, the government of Ontario announced, I think, the biggest project pipeline, biggest capital project pipeline, probably in the history of Canada. Mm-hmm. 30 projects and pre-procurement and procurement at the time, uh, you know, $65 billion uh, of projects, a significant portion of that ultimately in the health, hospital, healthcare space. And I'll just say we feel very proud, obviously, to be the agency that's charged, uh, you know, to bring those projects to realization. Um, You know, since that time in 2019, notwithstanding the global pandemic that we've lived through, if you'll permit me to use the word, I think we've been pretty relentless in trying to bring these projects to market. So over 25 projects against the pipeline are now in market or we have uh, transacted. I think it's nine or 10 now where we've reached financial close, preferred proponent negotiation, a mix of health and transit and rapid build projects in the LTC space, which I, I think of as being appropriately a part of health expenditure. Um, and we've done all of that in partnership with industry, talented design firms, good construction firms. Uh, and we've done it while evolving our approach to the way in which we think about the delivery of these projects and dealing with the exigencies of the COVID-19 pandemic, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm particularly proud of the fact that our organization has managed to bring several hospitals online in the team of this pandemic. So, you know, I, I think of, um, you know, Cordelucci uh, uh, Vaughn uh, as mm-hmm. a first net new hospital that's been added in, in Vaughn region um, in decades. Um, this had been completed right on the cusp of the COVID-19 pandemic and then pushed into service immediately as a pandemic surge hospital. Um, I think of uh, Michael Guerin at West Park, both of which are on track uh, for occupancy in 2023. I think of um, you know, St. Michael's and the things that we ultimately did, uh, working with partners to enable a portion of that project to be online for surge pandemic capacity, even as we continue to construct the hospital. 
And I think of our rapid build LTC projects, Lake Ridge, where we partnered with PCL, went from a dead stop, literally a field, and an announcement that, you know, to patients in that facility in 18 months. And early next year, early next year, there'll be almost a thousand more beds at Humber and Trillium on that same rapid basis. So, you know, this is it's just a thumbnail, I suppose. <laughs> what we've up to, and, and I've been so uh, gratified and grateful, uh, you know, that notwithstanding everything that we had to navigate with our partners and with government, that we've managed to bring those projects uh, either to realization or to push them forward, to say nothing of what we did with the Ottawa Hospital and uh, Royal Victoria and Barry around temporary facilities during the COVID-19 pandemic to ultimately expand, you know, mm-hmm. their triage and take in patients. So I could go on and on and on. <laughs> you have a list. Probably will for you, Kareem, but that, that, that <laughs> the thumbnail of sort of how I think about where we've been in the health space the last little while. Fair enough. I mean, you've kind of touched on this a little bit already, but there, there are several infrastructure Ontario healthcare projects currently in procurement uh, or under construction. Can you also talk about how those procurements have evolved and changed over the last decade since Infrastructure Ontario first began working on healthcare? My goodness, I'd love to. Look, we continue to be big believers in what are commonly known as P3 structures, right? I, I mm-hmm. have a couple of reasons why that's the case. The first of which is I think that these structures contractually are one of the best ways to align the incentives of designers, constructors, financiers, and those who ultimately maintain hospitals over the long term, right? If you think about the analogy of ultimately yeah. building a new home, right? It, it, it's great always if you are the owner of such a facility to make sure that the architect, the people who construct, and then the folks who are going to maintain your home are all aligned around the same incentives. And we continue to believe that in the right places and spaces, securing outcomes against budget and cost through the use of private financing makes a lot of sense. And our track record really, you know, bears out that certainly in respect of you know, protecting taxpayers, uh, you know, this model that we've used, we've become a global leader in respect of it, uh, has definitely ensured that sort of what we thought the hospitals would cost has been what the hospitals have cost. Having said that, I think the evolution that you point out is a little necessary for a couple of different reasons. First, the size of the hospital projects that we're doing has achieved a quantum that I don't think we ever anticipated, right? Like when we think about the uh, what we affectionately call the M site hospital for Trulian Health Partners at, at the corner of Queensway and Jura, Ontario, or the new Ottawa Civic. Mm-hmm. These projects are massive in terms of their total size, which is great. I mean, that is beds for regions that desperately need them. But it means that these projects have their own risk profile, if I can put it that way, that is somewhat different mm-hmm. than you know, when we used to or still do put a Greenfield hospital down somewhere in a region outside of a major urban center. So uh, when I became the CEO of Infrastructure Ontario, I was very gripped of the need to make sure that we were using the right model to ultimately deliver those projects. Mm-hmm. And, and the adaptation, the evolution that we've come up with is what I would think of as a progressive form of our DBF or DBFM models, whereby our initial selection of a counterparty is for a DEPCO. That might ultimately do the works. In fact, we probably have, uh, you know, a, a bit of a desire that they would. But we get into a 12 to 18 month development agreement phase mm-hmm. with urban 
contractor involvement where we work together effectively to progress the design of these hospitals. We use that as an opportunity to talk about key risks and risk transfer inherent in the contract. And at the end of 12 to 18 months, we get you know close enough to 100% CD or whatever milestone we think is important. Mm-hmm. And then we fix the price for those works and we enter into a, a pretty well understood contract that I think our market knows well. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I would say is, you know, even where we're doing traditional P3s, I think our approach to risk transfer has evolved importantly. Um, you know, we have taken big steps, not just in health, but elsewhere in respect of thinking about things like uh, geotechnical risk and the extent mm-hmm. counterparties can rely on the information that we provide them. We've taken steps in the moment that we find ourselves in right now to think about uh, regimes that ultimately uh, protect both sides, contracting authority right. in hyperinflationary events. <laughs> yeah. That volatility that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but look, I, I think it's true to say, we, we it is true to say, that we've quite intentionally updated what is our dispute resolution protocol in our contracts to allow for more you know, mid-construction arbitration of claims questions and even cash for counterparties to the extent that, you know, judgments are going against the contracting authority, because we get that these are big projects and, you know, mm-hmm. disputes arise on all construction jobs. They ultimately yeah. do. <laughs> that, you know, it, 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 it makes sense for us to create the right partnership and to ensure timely resolution of some of these items so that they don't distract us from completion of, of the actual asset. We, we've done that too. So uh, again, I'm, proud of the team. I, I think rightfully they, they have a reputation as being at the vanguard of some of this thinking, but it only has worked and it has worked so far because we're in such constant dialogue mm-hmm. with our industry, right? And, and again, you know, opportunities like this, uh, the fora that we get to go to where we hear the direct feedback about what's working and not working mm-hmm. in the world in respect of the approach that we take. So that's some of what we're up to. To, uh, to evolve our approach. All right, so I know the Ontario government has announced several other hospital and healthcare projects that Infrastructure Ontario will be, procure, will be procuring in the future. What are the trends that you see in the industry that will affect these procurements over the next five to 10 years? So I guess that's next step from where it's evolved to so far, where is it going? Great, great question. Um, let, me, let me give you a couple of reflections on exogenous trends and forces that impact the things that we do. And then let me give you some thoughts about uh, endogenous things that we're trying to do. Right? <laughs> Fair enough. So, look, the big trends and forces that we face in the moment, inflation is obvious. And and I, I think if I could predict commodity pricing perfectly, if anybody could, I think we'd be doing something else right now. Right? We, we'd be out making um, yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's fair to say that the scenarios that imagine that inflation is a little bit long tail for especially public sector contracting, which is generally in North America, would feel compelling to me. Um, and so I, I think we're going to continue to face a rising cost of things. I think we're going to continue to face, in particular, alongside that rising cost of things, you know, continued market capacity challenges in respect to the availability of labor and trades. And I know the government of Ontario is consumed with this question, as most jurisdictions mm-hmm. are, but you know, yeah. there's a finite amount of people ultimately to build. When you think of Eastern Ontario, for instance, the example we've got, Chio, the Civic, Quinty, Stevenson, KGH, 
and I haven't even put on that list the Chemical Correctional Facility and a couple, couple of others, plus what all the federal government is doing that we're building in downtown Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think right. we have to, I think we have to be very thoughtful about staging and sequencing with recognition of the fact that there are real capacity limits and that the government of Ontario is, is trying to grow the availability of skilled trades, but that takes time. There's no real instant solution to that. So that's number two. Number three, I, I think it is fair to say, as I said, that these projects are getting bigger um, and that that puts them into a space they've never been before, where they almost right. begin to have some of the risk characteristics of big linear projects like highways and transit. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's no longer just a sort of greenfield parcel of land, although we have a few of those on the pipeline. It's far more brownfield rehabilitation, refurbishment, reconstruction as operations are going on. I mentioned mm. the site in the Civic earlier. Not only are those massive hospital projects, but they sit face to face with massive transit investments that are planned. Here, Ontario RTN Confed in Ottawa. So the the interactive effect of those works happening in the same corridor is is kind of it's new, novel, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bunch of of those things that continue to condition the way in which we think about what it is we have to do with industry to deliver. Then there's the stuff that I think is, you know, internal uh, to our own planning that that's interesting. So greater standardization or deployment of standard approaches to elements of the health build is just it's a fascinating question having now built or building four long-term care homes on what effectively most to a modular or prefabricated basis i think we've started to see the power as measured in speed and flexibility around modularity in connection to some of these elements mm, yeah projects moving forward need to continue to embrace this notion of well, how, how could we think about uh, even the greater standardization of hospital assets. Uh, second, I, I would say I see great thinking emerging from the sector and from the government of Ontario about what might otherwise be thought of as a, a continuum of care and a campus. Mm. You know, we, we've built those four rapid build LTC facilities in partnership mm. with hospitals. And they are long-term care beds, but they're acute care beds too. And Mm. we we were certain to ensure that behavioral units and dialysis units were a part of these LTC facilities because, you know, the ability to take patients that are otherwise occupying hospital beds and to put them into proximate LTC facilities that allow for some synergies in respect of operations costs, especially around clinical staff. Is is really powerful, really powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I see government uh, and and the sector thinking about those types of interactions and, and how you think about assets that work with one another really really well. And then you know the, the the last thing that I think I would say is is just the 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 distribution of care across the province. Um, you know, and again, especially when you begin to think about the LTC imperative and mm-hmm. the ads that are ultimately going to be catalyzed and redeveloped by the government of Ontario, getting quite uh, clear, right, about um, uh, those investments, the functional programs that go into those hospitals, how you make the right types of decisions 
around, you know, uh, net new build, uh, completion of fit-out space that we've ultimately created in a prior hospital. I've just got all of the time back to the world for friends at the health capital planning department who make those choices. Uh, but I think that if, if, if there are many positive things that came out of the pandemic, if, if one that I would put a star and an asterisk next to is just those types of planners, those types of experts about how care gets distributed. Mm-hmm. As much as they really shone. And I, I think that they, they now have um, every opportunity to think about what a, a genuinely uh, fit for purpose and resilient healthcare spec- sector looks like in, in Ontario. So that's a long answer to your question. But those, those are <laughs> no, it's good. It's not a small question. Um, as a last question, uh, mm-hmm. and really this is more just final thoughts, but if our listeners are interested in learning more about these projects or generally more about infrastructure in relation to healthcare, where would you recommend they look? Are there any new reports out or anything in particular that you would direct them to? I, I would say a couple of things. First, please think of us as a resource, right? The infrastructure yeah. is certainly a great summary of the projects that we're working on. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, I, I continue to point at, uh, you know, some of what the industry itself is doing and putting out there for consumption right now about some of the opportunities that are that are possible in, in respect of healthcare and, and long-term care. So uh, certainly the industry associations, but even individual designers and construction firms, I, I really get the sense, I feel it deeply, that the last couple of years, again, have made all of the organizations who work in this space really thoughtful, not only about how they create viable business models to be able to deliver in respect of health, but how they genuinely ensure that the assets they get created are really helpful. Because mm-hmm. we have this potent experience of having needed desperately and globally a health system as much as we did. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it really caused you know, all firms to pause and to think about what intellectual property they were bringing to the table that they wanted to effectively allow to radiate across the sector at the end of the day, right? So, you know, I definitely check check out what, what some of these these firms, these constructors, design firms are putting out there. Um, and, and then maybe it's just a final thought. It's, it's a bit of a plug, I suppose. You know, we, we at IO, we take very solemnly the obligation to confirm to our market on a quarterly basis our intention in respect of, uh, you know, what assets we're bringing to market and when, right? Because we want a genuinely global set of players to have predictability around when they are going to be um, you know, either being, frankly, owners engineer or technical uh, advisors to us, even planning design and conformance uh, third parties. We, 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 do, we put not only the, the projects themselves on our pipeline, but also our key uh, owners advisory uh, contracts. Um, I think we're, we're planning to, to, to issue the first of those pipeline announcements uh, for this uh, new mandate for the government of Ontario later this fall. Um, we wanted to be deliberate about this one because of some of those trends and forces I was pointing at. We wanted to ensure mm-hmm. that, again, we are, we are going back to the market with a statement of intent that ultimately they can bank on. I would tell you that it has absolutely been the case that the pipeline working on for the last four years remains the pipeline. Uh, I think I'm speaking more about the delivery models and the timing of the things we would do. 
but you know we, we really try to create the highest level of transparency about what it is that we are doing and so that you know not just the io website but our, our pipeline materials i think are another great place for people to look for for intent and uh and, and statements of effect that, that we're ultimately putting in the market. Well, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to Renew and to myself today. Corinne, thank you so much. Great questions. And, and uh, I think that, you know, the last thing I would say about uh, you know, people reaching out is, is um, again, to those who are listening to us right now, but we are always on receive, right? So uh, don't just visit the website. Uh, think about actually getting in touch. Because uh, uh, this is a unique moment, and that's really cliched and pretty hackneyed to say. <laughs> but we're facing a lot of really challenging trends. Uh, but I bet on the kind of relationships that we've managed to build with our industry over the last 15 years, and the close communication makes all the difference in the world. So we are on receive. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Infraintelligence podcasts are adapted from an ongoing webinar series hosted by Renew Canada magazine. You can find out more by following Renew Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn or by visiting renewcanada.net.